welcome back to PH Expanded with Mike McDonald. Wanted to start with uh, the sliding doors moment of the game against Leicester. Uh, boy, another fantastic game. Absolute delight now to watch the Arsenal. How this has changed in, what, two months? Gosh. Um, the I don't think there's any doubts that the moment that changed the game was just on half-time, wasn't it? Which I believe is when Ramsdale made that unbelievable save. Uh, the difference, I think, from a coaching point of view to goalkeepers that are able to pull that level of save off and others that aren't, is their footwork beforehand. So if you do get to watch that back, which I'm sure you will, watch the fact that he shuffles two or three times to his left before he dives. Uh, goalkeepers that just dive can't reach that uh, far across their goal. So it's an interesting uh, watch to uh, to see that from a goalkeeping perspective. I remember when I used to train goalkeepers, and uh, for those of you who do or ever have the opportunity, one of the coolest drills that you can do is get two goalkeepers uh, to play um, opposite each other, like a goalie wars type scenario, about 20 yards apart. They've both got their own goal and they're just shooting on each other. And you tell them that they cannot use their hands or arms. And so that promotes the use of their uh, footwork because now they have to uh, shuffle across their goal and use their head to save the ball or their chest or any part of their body. It makes them braver as well, but it really promotes the footwork because there's no way that they could dive or be willing to dive and save it with their head or chest, which they don't want to do unless they move their feet. So what you find is it becomes all about moving their feet and just standing underneath it and putting your head on it. Uh, it really improves goalkeeping footwork, but uh, not only was that uh, an unbelievably good save, um, I think that the, the footwork part is the, is the difference maker in that. And then sort of moving on to my first positive, just his his desire. He just comes across as somebody that has such a huge desire to not let the ball hit the net behind him. And not all goalkeepers exude that. Um, and I think there's a knock-on effect to uh, to that because I think when the players uh, see him in the changing room before the game, they walk out there, they see uh, or feel that the attack is coming, a shot's about to, to occur, they feel a level of comfort. And that affects their, sorry, affects their nervousness and as you can see through years of watching Arsenal, there have been many defenders or defensive units that have been overly nervous, uh, not communicative. And it has such a knock-on effect when you believe in your goalkeeper. Um, you don't go for every ball that you shouldn't do. You trust your goalkeeper. You trust his words. You trust his anger. When he shouts at you, he can back it up with performance. So... Um, Kudos to Ramsdale, uh, one of the best individual performances of the season in the, in the Premier League, no doubt about that. Uh, wanted to add another um, positive uh, for our coach, because I've not spoken about him on the positive side of things for quite a while. I was hearing, at least on the American commentary, they were talking about Arsenal at half-time as a club that finally the players have got it together. Uh, and, and just giving the credit 
all to the players and none of it to the coach. Now, of course, it's uh, it's both, right? We all know that, but it's driven by the coaching staff. It's not just Arteta either. It's the whole coaching staff, and most of them get no credit, as we know. But the fact that our tempo, our transition play, our defensive discipline and aggression, uh, our um, fast starts, all of that are the ideas of the coach. They're all the ideas because without that, then the players, of course, have their ideas, but they'd all be doing different things. So say, for example, if I was playing and I like to dribble without solid instruction and clear instruction from my coach, I do what I want to do, which is I like to dribble. And the guy next to me thinks that we should not do that. And he thinks we need to pass and pass quickly. And then the other guy on the on the other side and he he wants to overlap and anyway it goes on and on and, and without that proper structure and I'm I'm actually thinking of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is that fair uh probably is anyway without that clear structure then you don't have team organization and I think Arteta uh, not only when he first came into Arsenal organized us defensively very well and, and we've we've kept that for the largest part but now we're starting to see a true offensive structure and efficiency, you know, with the counter-attacking and the quicker passing and, you know, opening up more clear-cut chances, which might have been for over a year our biggest issue at Arsenal is creating clear-cut chances in games. So I want to make sure that he is getting the credit because people who aren't watching Arsenal's games and just were seeing the results might not be too impressed, but for, for those of us that um, are watching these games, it's obvious that uh, the coach is having such a positive impact on the group. Okay, uh, the needs. The need I want to talk about, and I don't want to go in two-footed, but there were a few opportunities in that 27-minute block at the beginning of the game where we could have killed it. Now, to me, the greatest uh, needs are, first of all, Saka needs to get his shooting boots, and he will, I'm sure, in time, hopefully sooner rather than later. But the greater one is the runs of the strikers when the ball is being played across the box. Aubameyang still hasn't changed his style, and I see value at him being at the back post. There's always value at, with uh, somebody being at the back post. And Lacazette is often there for the cutback. The trouble is that we have other players available for the cutback. And I know that Lacazette might have been involved in the build-up and cannot get in front of the defenders for the tap-in. But we, as a team, have got to fix that problem because if Aubameyang's hanging at the back post, the ball has to travel past four defenders and possibly a, a midfielder who slotted in to make five. That's asking for literal perfection. And that's why we don't score enough of these tap-ins and why we don't kill teams. As we're getting these balls, whether it's Tavares or Saka or Tommy Asus, getting in these great positions and we look up and we see to get the ball to Aubameyang, it has to be perfect. And so it rarely gets to Aubameyang in the back post. And Lacazette, bless his heart, has, has been part of the link play. And he's working hard to get into the box. But then he realises he can't 
get in front of the defenders and get to the front post and get the the first look. And so he stops, probably intelligently, and lets the defenders carry on running and he's there for the cutback. But again, I say there are other players that are behind him available for the cutback. And so that is something that we have to fix. And for me, I would fix it with a Bamiyang. And I would tell him that as much as he loves the back post, and I understand, at least in my mind, that he goes to the back post because he doesn't want the physical confrontation of being in the middle of the centre-backs. And so he's comfortable physically at the back post. But he needs to make that run to the front post, and then Lacazette needs to, if he can if he can make it into position, he needs to make the secondary run, either to the back post or for the cutback, depending where the other options are. But Aubameyang is the player who will always be there. So you can't trust, you know, a bit Tavares or Tierney coming in late at the back post or a midfielder. If that's who you're trusting to get in front of the defenders and get to the front post, it's just not going to happen regularly enough because they're not going to be in position to do it. And so Aubameyang has to switch his run depending on the situation. Okay. All right, got that off my chest. Uh, The hope that I wanted to pick up on is, I think, probably the last one I talked about, which is that somebody uh, grabs a hold of the refereeing in England and tries to transform um, it because it's, it's better than last season because they've... Uh, helped with the rules uh, and made it uh, easier for the referees to make decisions but to me now the bigger problem is that we have you know a professional referee on the field and another professional referee whose name we know also who's the VAR guy so let's say this one was Michael Oliver and the guy in the box was I don't know Mike Dean or whoever it was but it's somebody we know and it's somebody who's normally on the field so he knows what he's doing supposedly Okay, so when Johnny Evans rugby tackles, because that's what he did, it was an actual rugby tackle, a Bamiang to the floor. Again, the commentary I was talking about said they thought it should be a yellow card because he was so far from goal. Well, that's ridiculous because a Bamiang was clean through on goal and in two more touches, one more touch, he was inside the box and nobody was going to catch him. Utterly ridiculous. And the fact that um, Johnny Evans isn't sent off is also utterly ridiculous. Because Aubameyang is clean through and nobody's catching him. And even if he was on the halfway line, doesn't matter how far from goal you are. It's all about the situation and the placement of the other defenders. Nobody was catching him. Uh, Johnny Evans was, of course, uh, super lucky to not be at least yellow carded a little few minutes before for deliberately leaving a leg in on Aaron Ramsdale. So the fact that he hasn't been sent off is some kind of minor miracle. But back to the VAR man. The referee has a far more difficult decision to make, hence why we even have VAR, to help him. But if the guy who's a professional referee looking at that VAR screen cannot figure out that that super simple decision needs to be made, then you either make your head lean towards corruption or some level of biasness or... And you hate to say it, but just incompetence. And then you watch the next game of the day, which we do, and Laporte gets sent off for an almost identical situation. In fact, to me, a more 
a lesser version of. Still a red card to me. He was rightly sent off. But I know we all talk about the consistency. I I just see that if we are going to bother to have VAR, then those guys have to get it. I'm not trying to spit a, a phrase out that we overuse. It's I'm, I'm being literal here. 99 times out of 100. 99% of the time it has to be right. Maybe 1 out of 100 they make a mistake due to whatever. But we have have to be able to trust them that they're going to get that right because they can sit there for two minutes and look at that thing. And I know that sometimes it's still difficult because it's not obvious to anybody. But there are so many camera angles and some of the decisions like that one are just a freebie. Shouldn't take you more than five seconds to look at that and decide that that's a red card. Okay, uh, wanted to finish up. Just a final thought here. Uh, I just always, I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm a warrior, but the part of me that does worry is concerned sometimes when, you know, we don't have Europa League, we have very few games for our squad players, and then you have a situation where Martin Odegaard, who is one of our better footballers and a top player and has been playing very well for Arsenal, is on the bench. And um, I'm not concerned that we picked the same team. I'm delighted that we did. He needed to be on the bench and he'll get his time. But my final thought, I suppose, is I hope that our players are mature enough, those who are not playing, those that think they should be playing, to keep their mouths shut, keep working hard and just wait because there will be opportunities. We're not going to roll out the same 11 every week. And so uh, those kind of issues can derail a season when players start getting dissatisfied and then sit next to another player that they think might be dissatisfied and a good one to agree with. And so I don't think we'll get that from Erdegaard. I know he's going to be disappointed that the system right now is not fitting him in. But Arsenal are finally finding some automatisms and some rhythm with these players. Lacazette is fully deserving of his place in the team. And so I think because it's Lacazette that Erdegaard, I think, would replace, if we're talking about that particular situation, then Lacazette's fitness levels not being the greatest will automatically give Erdegaard an opportunity coming up. Anyway, roll on the Watford game. Just hope that we are not cocky and think we've got that one won. We need to start the exact same way against Watford that we just did against Leicester. Cheers. Ta-da.